Good morning, Oakland University. You're listening to WXOU 88.3 FM. This is John out here back with you on Sports Day in the D. Apologize I could not be on the airwaves last week. I wasn't feeling very good, so I didn't want to crash my car on the way here. So I apologize for that. Got a lot to get into as I missed last week. So let's talk about some Lions football and the Bears on Monday night. And let's get into it. Yes, your Tigers are in the World Series. It's unbelievable. They finally made it this far. We'll get into it. And if we got some time yes i'm sorry fans out there but i am passionate about the nba so we're going to talk about some pistons opening night it's going to be a big show so first before we get into it here's len steal my sunshine did you know that birthday parties help build confidence in kids yeah did you know that giving kids less sugar before bedtime helps them sleep better oh totally did you know that friendly kids have more friends everybody knows that hey guys did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid but they're not I didn't know that. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 88.3 WXO. Welcome back in from the break at Sports Day in the D, WXOU, 88.3 FM, The Grizz. Always nice to play some Len, Steal My Sunshine. It always kind of gets you fired up. I always like that song. Bears and Lions. Bears win 13-7 over the Lions on Monday Night Football. It was a chance for the Lions to show something. You know, they played San Francisco on that Sunday Night Football, and they get a chance to play the Bears on Monday Night and show how they are in the limelight. And once again, the Lions have failed miserably. So another one of these times when we have to talk about the Lions, and it's not in a good way. The quick takeaway that I have from this game is that I think Matthew Stafford so far, and we can all agree on this, I believe, is that he just hasn't been sharp. But maybe this is one of those cases where he was just outmatched by the Bears' defense because as the Bears improved now to 5-1, and one, not many of these teams have had a chance to go ahead and try to take them out. He didn't look comfortable all night. And in the fourth quarter, by the time he was always running around hits from Erlacher and Julius Peppers, he appeared to be wincing in pain. I don't know if he uh, has some trouble with that foot to plant and try to throw, but I think that's my guess, is the fact that I think some of that stuff was hurt and he can't get everything up on his throws. And up until the end of that fourth quarter, I have to reiterate this because we all watched it and it wasn't very good. Calvin and Matt didn't even hook up one time up until the end about that fourth quarter. So he had like one reception for five yards up until maybe, I would say, like four minutes to go in that game. So when you're talking about big production and people are thinking Madden curse and you're thinking about Matthew Stafford throwing for over 5,000 yards, it's really not going to get it done when he's only getting one reception for five yards in that big play hookup. It's not going to work for that Lions offense. And I'm really upset once again in terms of, I think all of us are, in terms of the way that the Lions have played on all fronts in this game. Because when you think about play calling, I know we had talked about it a couple weeks ago on that uh, Pro Football Weekly article, there was some mentioning of that, and Scott Linehan might be of some you know, dismerit on that regard, because it seems to me that the Lions are really predictable. And here's the sense why. The Lions really want to try to improve that running game. I know Javid Best is not there and still has the concussions and everything. And I'm, I said before on record saying that I don't think this guy is going to play to about week 10, week 11 in that season. So that's just where I'm at on that. But in terms of Mikel Lashore, the Lions having a running back, I don't think he's a guy that's going to hit holes and go out there with speed and everything. But yet the Lions are still trying to show everybody that they have a running game. 
but to their own credit, I don't think it's working very well. And the reason why the lines are so predictable, it's just because of the way that they set up the play. When they do one run, they're going to do a pass next, and when they do one pass, they're going to do a run next. Never seem to kind of, you know, fake it out, just mix it up a little bit, because the defense just pens their ears back, and you got those two safeties back there for Calvin Johnson pretty much playing all the way up into the end zone, saying no deep threats here, and not getting Calvin the ball in the way I think they can. And the one thing that I would say about the Lions is they sit here now on 2-4. and four. When you look at the Lions' play calling, I'm not going to go into it too much, but when you say that you don't give the ball to Calvin at least once on every set of downs, I have a problem for that. I think that's just a general rule that the Lions need to follow now, because I know teams are looking for that, but you need to get Calvin the ball at least once every new set of downs. That's all I'm saying. I think that's they should be able to stick with that considering he's the best guy. He's on the cover of Madden. Everybody knows him. Everybody likes him. He's always a big play threat. He hasn't had that impact yet, and I think that's one way that the Lions can go ahead and improve it. But it's simple. The Lions are a bad football team. You guys really can't run the ball, so why do you continue to try to smash your head against the wall and do the same thing? It's probably just because, well, they can't pass it every time, but it is a passing league, so I got a little bit of a problem with that. You might need to just throw up more, but then at the same time, Matthew Stafford hasn't looked good, so then you kind of run it a little bit, and the lines are kind of stuck in flux because the running game is not good, and the passing game hasn't hooked up yet. So what do the lines do? This week on Lions Special Teams, that's what I'm going to entitle it now, because it's just like Days of Our Lives. Like sand in the hourglass, so is the Days of Our Lives, and so is the Lions Special Teams. You know, we always kind of have to go on that regard. So this week on Lions Special Teams, in this Monday Night Football game, we get two muff punts, and we get a drop. And you know, I'm getting really sick of uh, Stefan Logan doing this stuff, and when I was coming up with these notes and thinking about what I was going to talk to you about today in this show, I almost called Stefan Logan Nook Logan. You remember that guy on baseball that used to play for the Tigers that was real fast and could butt? Go ahead and get Nook Logan in here and see if he could do a little bit better than Stefan Logan, because you got to catch the ball, dog. I mean, come on, man. You can't... Just muff it every time or almost get lucky and lose it out of bounds. The one muff where he didn't catch it and the uh, Bears came back to score a field goal on that, even the way that the Lions offense had played all night in this Monday Night Football game, you have to believe with the great field position they had, they could have got a touchdown out of that. And the game could have won in the Lions' favor 14-13. I'm just saying, when you get that kind of field position, a golden opportunity to score, and they end up getting the ball back because homeboy can't catch a punt, i got a problem with that. So, once again, Lions special teams didn't show up. And again, we have to talk about Adama Kinsu because not only is he the most hated player in football from one of the uh, articles that just came out, you always have to talk about the hits. And now in this game, he put a hit on Jay Cutler where it kind of looked like he was doing something dirty. But let's be honest here, he wasn't doing anything dirty this time. The guy's just a real physical football player. He ended up just getting Jay Cutler again as his victim as Cutler takes a vicious hit. And I got some problems with the Bears, too, because with Cutler, he didn't look the same after that hit. And you think about a lot of teams that play against the Lions, it kind of seems to me, I don't know how you guys feel out there, you can go ahead and uh, leave some comments on Facebook and Twitter, I had TBU Gunslinger. How do you think the Lions opponents 
play against the Lions? Do you think they go all out? That's the question I have for you. Because when Jake Cutler comes out there and he doesn't look the same and he's moving his neck around and something really appears to be wrong, I got some problems with the Bears, too, in terms of that's your quarterback and that's your guy and the hookup with Brandon Marshall has been working really great for you. So why in the heck would you put Jake Cutler at risk and get him back out there when you know he doesn't look right and you know he's hurting? Because you're 5-1. and one. I know you got a great defense and everything, but the 5-1 and one is also doing part of the Cutler-Marshall hookup. Don't risk anything by being stupid by putting him back out there. You guys could have went easily with your backup quarterback doing the same things that Cutler did while he was hurt in this game and still finish it off because Cutler was making those safe throws and you got the double running running back and Matt Forte and Michael Bush. So the Lions don't have any of that. They don't even have a speed guy and they don't really have another physical 250-pound guy to go like punish and run through some holes. So Bears are a complete team. Don't risk Jay Cutler by putting him back out there. That's all I have to say. Jason Campbell is your quarterback for your backup, and he could have gotten that done. I mean, come on, Sean Hill could have gotten that done. What are you guys thinking? And, sure, there's some criticism on that guy in terms of the fact that people always say that he quits the injured thumb or what have you before saying that he gave up on his team. Well, Brandon Marshall went out there and defended Jay Cutler on that ESPN first take saying that Adamican Sue is a dirty player and that was a dirty hit and he needs to change the way that he plays. But Jay Cutler went back out there and then he'd said, no, it wasn't a dirty hit. You know, he just he wished he would have got rid of the football and all that and he didn't think it was a dirty play. So if Jay Cutler, who already took two vicious hits from Adamican Sue so far in his career, didn't say it was a dirty play, then I gotta be honest with you. It's not a dirty play. And Stafford, as far as this game goes, you know he wasn't sharp. And again, the Lions look about as productive in the first quarter as trying to ride a snail in a car or whatever. You know, just trying to get there as quick as you can. The snail on top of a turtle, and the turtle going, whoa, this is fast. You know, that was the kind of the funny thing that was in Family Guy. That was the kind of thing I was thinking about with uh, Matthew Stafford. Because the image of having him have the turf in his face mask says it all. The guy was beat up all night, he was running for his life, he couldn't make the throws he needed, Calvin had an uncharacteristic drop, and some of the receivers had uncharacteristic drops, and it just wasn't good for Matthew Stafford. He wasn't able to do everything he needed to do to get the Lions on the board. And as far as the Lions go, four turnovers, and there wasn't a lot of good things to say in terms of Nate Burleson, I think he's out for the rest of the season. So you go ahead and you get Ryan Broyles out of there, out of Oklahoma. He's the guy that the Lions had picked for next year to try to make an impact. Well, it's not next year now as Nate Burleson comes out and everything is done for them. So, Peppers, Erlacher, all these guys, I think Stafford needs to try to drive the ball all the way around and do what he needs to do. I know he's trying to do that, but in terms of being able to sustain drives, you got to be able to do that in the NFL. You can't continue to go three and out. The Lions can't continue to be anemic in that first half and not produce anything because it seems like only when there's three minutes to go in that fourth quarter, then that's when things get done. So I don't feel good about that. 
So Charles Tillman, one other thing to say about him, he played excellent on Calvin Johnson. And Charles Tillman doesn't have a lot of size on Calvin Johnson, and he was shutting Calvin down all night. So big ups to Charles Tillman shutting down Megatron, because that's one of the most difficult matchups to go through, and he made it look easy. Not a good night for Megatron in that regard. One other thing I have to say about Stafford as we end up this Lions segment is Pat Caputo of 97 won the ticket in the Oakland Press, had said on 97 won the ticket that Matthew Stafford is of the elite level category in terms of quarterbacks. So he might go ahead and say that elite level, he's on the same level as Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, all these guys. And I think from what he was saying was at the end, in terms of his upside, he could be better than all of these guys. And he's obviously the best Lions quarterback. I agree with him that he's the best Lions quarterback. But if you have an opportunity to tell me that he's better right now than Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning, I could tell you I'd rather have all three of those guys than have Matthew Stafford. But I do need to address one thing. When I had talked about the trade possibilities and some stuff of having to solidify that Lions defense, would Matthew Stafford be a sacrificial lamb and a Dominican Sioux just to keep Calvin and have Sean Hill and solidify the rest on defense and get a running back? I know they're not going to go that route, and quite honestly, I need to defend what I had said just in case there are some dedicated listeners out there, and I appreciate you all if you guys are listening in there, but I don't want to trade Matthew Stafford. He's the best Lions quarterback that we've ever had. I mean, come on, I'm 25 years old, and a lot of you... Uh, Oakland University students out there, a lot of you young guns out there, all you remember is that the Lions have been pitiful your whole entire life. And even all the older people that are out there remember that the Lions have been pitiful their whole entire life. Matthew Stafford is the best thing that the Lions have had. So to go ahead and try to say you need to bench him to go ahead and put Sean Hill in there, we already know what Sean Hill is going to do. He's the backup quarterback. The only way I want to see Matthew Stafford out of this game is if he's hurt. Because you need to give Matthew Stafford all the reps you can give him. I know it's been a bad season for him so far, but he is the Lions' future, and he is the best Lions quarterback on that roster. So you got to play your best players. He's a young guy. Have some faith in Matthew Stafford. I know it's been a rough season so far, but don't be so eager to let him go so soon. And as far as the turnaround goes for the Lions, at this record now, 2-4, and four, I don't think we call it a turnaround. I just think we need to go ahead and say this Bears loss probably ends the season. We talked about before how the records and everything have been and how the next matchups are going to be, how they're all going to be tough, how you still got to play the Texans, how you still got to play the Packers twice and all of that. Just try to work on some things going forward. And now in the draft we know don't go for the best available player. I think it's very clear now that the Lions don't need to fire coaches and go for the best available player. Solidify that defense in the draft. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some Tigers in the World Series. Be right back on Sports Day in the D. I'm John Ott. Hello, I'm Julia Lucci, your PSA director, and this is your Canvas calendar for the week of October 8th. This week from October 8th until the 12th is the week of champions leading up to the madness. There will be plenty of events, so make sure to check in every day at the CSA website major events schedule. On Monday, October 8th, Oakland University will be welcoming Republican vice presidential candidate Paul Ryan from the Romney-Ryan campaign. Ryan will be speaking at an on-campus rally in the arena at 7 
1 p.m. 300 tickets have been set aside for students, so head to the CSA window for your chance to grab a pair of tickets. Starting at 9 a.m., all you need is a valid Grizzly ID. Doors to the arena will open at 5 p.m. A shuttle service will be taking attendees to the event from the Meadowbrook Music Festival parking lot from 4.30 to 9.45 p.m. Kid Rock is also rumored to appear. Also, this Monday, you can attend an evening with Jamie Torkowski, the founder of To Write Love on Her Arms. It will be located in the banquet rooms of the Oakland Center, and doors will open at 6.30 p.m. with a lecture starting at 7. There will also be free music by Stephen McCorin of Satellite. The event is free and sponsored by Athletics, OUSC, Residence Halls Association, and the Student Life Lecture Board. CWLOAH's focus is to help those who suffer from depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicidal tendencies. Come out Tuesday, October 9th to see why OU's got talent. The SBB will be hosting this talent show featuring Ty Barnett from 7 to 10 p.m. at Meadowbrook Theater in Wilson Hall. Do you want to get involved in one of the many on-campus student organizations? Then stop by the Center for Student Activities on Wednesday, October 10th to learn more and get involved. The event is all day from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. Join the AMA and the FMA for their business fashion show and learn how to dress for success this Thursday, October 11th. It will be in the banquet rooms of the OC from 7 to 9 p.m. WXOU will also be on hand to provide some music. Head out to the Hamlin Circle from 10 to 11 p.m. for a pizza giveaway put on by Athletics to prepare you for the madness. The OUSC will be having a tailgating party on Friday, October 12th from 6 to 9 p.m. in the P16 parking lot. WXOU will also be on hand to provide some music. Also on Friday, October 12th, the madness officially starts. Come to the arena from 9 to 10 p.m. to celebrate the official start of the basketball season. Grizzlies will get to meet their favorite men's and women's basketball players. Finally, this Saturday, October 13th, you can help make strides against breast cancer. This event will be put on by the American Cancer Society from 9.30 a.m. until 12 p.m. on OU's campus. Registration will start at 9.30 a.m. Recruit family and friends to help you walk. You can still sign up at www.makingstrideswalk.org slash Oakland County MI. I'm Julia, and this has been your campus calendar. And remember to keep it here on 88.3 FM and WXOU.org, The Grizz. A hand up, not a handout. That is the mission of USA Cares, a nonprofit organization based in Kentucky that helps military members and their families. They provide support and assistance when no one else can, free of charge. They offer financial support, especially for those wounded in combat. They strive to reduce unemployment levels among post-9-11 veterans while trying to put a roof over the heads of military families who need them. Most of all, USA Cares is there for the little things we take for granted, like keeping food on the table, the lights on, and having a family car in our driveways. A majority of USA Cares volunteers are from military families or are often vets themselves. You can call 800-773-0387 to talk to a volunteer today. Throughout the year, there are plenty of fundraising events that occur, and you can also donate online at usacares.org. It's guaranteed that all the money raised will be going straight to the families that need it. USA Cares has plenty of partnerships, from the organization to write love on her arms, which is currently selling t-shirts to assist USA Cares, to spokespeople like Sergeant Brian Anderson and musician John Parr, who go around and tell their stories. If you have a loved one or are a post-9-11 vet, don't hesitate to call 800-773-0387 or go online for more information at usacares.org. Please help share the sacrifice.
Control the cake. 88.3. Double XOU. The Grizz. WXOU 88.3 FM, The Grizz, Sports Day in the D. This is John out here back with you. We're going to talk about some Tigers in the World Series now. It's only the San Francisco Giants standing in their way. It's been 28 years since the Tigers have finally won a World Series, 1984, 2012. Tigers are trying to get it done. They made it in 2006, couldn't finish it off against the Cardinals. And boy, didn't I think that the Tigers were going to end up playing the Cardinals because I wasn't here last week. Cardinals were up 3-1 on the Giants. And as the show gets uploaded on your listen and podcasted on WXOU, when you wake up in the morning on Thursday, hopefully the Tigers will be up one to nothing as Justin Verlander goes on and takes Barry Zito tonight. I couldn't believe it. The Cardinals up three games to one and the Giants with their backs against the wall down two nothing in the NLDS and three one in the NLCS win six games with their back against the wall to get into the World Series. As much as you think the Tigers have an advantage against the San Francisco Giants for Cisco to come out and win six games with their back against the wall, it's got to give you a little bit of a pause, doesn't it? So, Tigers are finally there. It's been a really rough season in regards of all that stuff. You know I've talked about that before. But let's kind of break down a little bit. I'm not going to go all the way into the Yankees series, but there were some things to take out of that in terms of what you need to remember. Delman Young was your ALCS MVP. Let me repeat that for you. Delman Young was the ALCS MVP. He's not a very class citizen, but that's what that lady called him. He said he's a very class individual in terms of getting this reward. Yeah, right. That's really not the case. Johnny Peralta, there's been a lot of criticism on him in terms of he doesn't got any range, but he made some spectacular plays in that game one of that Yankees series to keep that game at 0-0 at the time when it easily could have been 4-0 Yankees. And regardless, I know Robinson Cano was safe in that second inning, but Johnny Peralta made that throw anyway, and he just hasn't been able to do a lot of that this season. And in terms of Jose Valverde, you saw him blow up against Oakland. You saw him blow up against Game 1 against the Yankees, and you hadn't seen him pitch since. And now we're at the point where we're at the World Series against the San Francisco Giants, starting there Game 1 at 7.30 when the coverage starts. So you hadn't seen him pitch in about 14 days or 11 days, what have you. You haven't seen him pitch, and you don't know if you're going to see him pitch again. And I think a lot of us are thinking, you know, he might be used in some facet, but that just might mean that he's giving water to everybody else in that bullpen who's warming up. Because Phil Coke went out there to get it done for the Tigers against the Yankees. And it might have just been his own personal redemption against his own team for trading him. But, I mean, come on. If he's out there closing games for you and you're getting bullpen done by committee, but as long as it's getting done, then it's okay. In terms of why you guys feel confident in the Tigers against the San Francisco Giants, I've even heard people say sweep. I would hold your horses on that regard. I'm going to go ahead. If I have to make a prediction right now, fork to my nose, Tigers and six. That's what I say. And if it holds out true 
to what's been going on. The reason why it will be Tigers in six is because of that dominant starting pitching. You guys know it. It's been that way for the Yankees. I know the Yankees' bats were very cold, and you might say, well, that's fraudulent to tell from that because Yankees didn't do anything. But the Oakland A's, the starters were great on that, and weren't the Oakland A's the team of destiny? That's what I ask you. Weren't they the team of destiny? And still, the Tigers' aces got it done. When you think about Verlander, you think about Fister, Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez, whoever you want to throw out there that's in the Tigers' starting uniform, They've been all getting it done. You think about Justin Verlander giving up one run to Eduardo Nunez in the ninth against the Yankees, and the Tigers still closing it out to sweep 4 nothing. His ERA actually went up when he gave up one run. That's how dominant this guy has been. Let's say he comes out tonight, and they go up against Barry Zito. You know he throws about 14 miles an hour harder than Zito does. Zito only throws like 85-86. That's like JV's changeup. So the Tigers, as long as they're patient, and as long as they don't let Barry Zito work the corners or try to fall for some of these pitches, Tigers could have some BP to hit tonight if Zito's not hitting those corners and not getting some of those calls. But in terms of JV, if he goes out and he wins a game one, and let's say he goes out and pitches game five, if he goes and gives you a I would say, let me think, about 16, 17 innings, only gives up about two runs. I don't care how many he strikes up, but I just throw that out there. This could be the most dominant postseason for one pitcher that any of us had ever seen. And he goes ahead and puts himself in the ceiling as finally the most dominant pitcher in baseball. I know he won the AL MVP. I know he won the Cy Young. Hasn't happened since Roger Clemens went out and did that. But there were some criticisms on Justin Verlander in terms of finally figuring things out and finally using all of his pitches and not throwing as hard as he can. We've talked about that before. If he goes out and wins Game 1 and Game 5 and he looks dominant and the Tigers go on and win the World Series, that's the most dominant pitching performance I've ever seen from one guy. I'm just throwing it out there. In terms of why you need to be a little afraid of the San Francisco Giants and not thinking sweep, because I'm not going to go ahead and say the Tigers are going to win, woohoo, all that stuff. I'm not throwing all that out there because I respect my opponents, regardless of the fact that their backs were against the wall and all that stuff. The San Francisco Giants have made the World Series two out of the last three years, and they had won two years ago against the Texas Rangers. So it's a chance... For the Tigers to go ahead, go ahead and play up against another real deal team. I know that they don't have Melky Cabrera because of the PEDs. And Tim Lincecum, he's not the same starter that he once was in terms of being the most dominant guy. The freak hasn't been what he was. But in terms of going out into that bullpen, Bruce Bochy has a luxury on this guy. Because when you think about it, if the starter goes, I would say probably about five or six innings, Lincecum will go out there and he'll pitch the 7th and the 8th. Don't forget this guy's a starter. You'll see him pitch the 7th and the 8th game 2. You'll see him pitch the 7th and the 8th game 3. And if the Tigers are having problems with him, it's going to be like Neftali Feliz and Alexei Agondo that you remember so well from Texas last year. You're going to have those problems when you got guys like that coming out there and shutting you down in terms of having pretty good starting pitching. The one luxury that the Tigers have was this game one in Barry Zito, and I had mentioned the reasons why. Matt Cain had to pitch in that game seven against the Cardinals, so you're not going to see Matt Cain until probably about game four when the Tigers 
come back to Comerica to play in the World Series. So you're not going to see Matt Cain until then. I'm not really sure what the pitching matchup is going to be at that point. I think it's probably going to be Max Scherzer. But when you think about it that way, Tigers have a great luxury of having these two guys pitch now and Barry Zito and I believe Madison Bumgarner pitching in game two. So Tigers have a chance to do something against these starters who have given up some runs and not not look so good, with the exception of Zito, but like I said, I'm mentioning the velocity and all of that. It could be a chance for the Tigers to go out and do something. So let's see if they can do it. Hopefully, here's the one thing I think is going to be key in this series. Prince Fielder has got to be the guy that's going to hit, more so than Miguel Cabrera, and let me tell you why. Prince Fielder, left-handed at bat, and we're going up against two lefties in the first two games, Tigers and Giants. So... They're going to go ahead and walk Miguel Cabrera, that righty, to get that lefty-lefty pitching hitting matchup. Prince Fielder's going to have to take care of some business. I would certainly hope, even though I really respected the production from Johnny Peralta and Delman Young, I would certainly hope that Prince Fielder and Miguel Cabrera and Austin Jackson and all those big guns are able to go ahead and get it done and just carry it into the World Series because we would all feel a heck of a lot better if that was the case. Prince Fielder is going to be really important and in terms of that back end of that bullpen, I'm hoping that we don't see Jose Valverde. I know this guy's been a great closer and all that, but we just talked about what happened in that Yankees series, what happened in the Oakland A's. I don't think Jim Leland is going to have the trust in Valverde anymore. If it's down to a couple runs, it's in the ninth inning. I think Phil Coke is going to continue to be the closer until he shows that he can't do it otherwise. So, Tigers, Giants, I pick the Tigers to win in six. This will probably be one of the most flawed teams to win the World Series, but so be it. Two weeks ago, we had talked about in terms of, we don't even think the Tigers are going to make the postseason, and they're in the World Series. So it just goes to show you that dominant starting pitching can carry you all the way into the World Series. And best of luck to the Tigers going forward. Like I said, Wednesday, 7.30, Game 1, and uh, hopefully all you guys are watching, JV's on the mound. Best of luck to the Tigers. Let's get it done. Let's win that World Series. When we come back in from the break, I'm going to preview some Pistons basketball in that Central Division. Stay with me. John Ott, Sports Day in the D. If you're searching for a great way to give back to the community, then look no further than Great Lakes Caring Hospice. Great Lakes Caring Hospice is currently seeking dedicated volunteers to help hospice patients through music and pet therapy, providing emotional support, and something as simple as offering companionship. Visit GreatLakesCaring.com to learn more or call 800-311-5365. Great Lakes Caring Hospice has been around since 1994 and is one of the Midwest premier providers of continuum care. They have patients spanning across Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. If interested, you will receive training and support before visiting patients. Volunteers will be placed in nursing homes and assisted living sites. For more info, you can contact Megan Carolyn, the volunteer coordinator, at 800-311-5365. Or you can visit their website at greatlakescaring.com. This message has been brought to you by Megan Carolyn and the Great Lakes Caring Hospice. 88.5 WXOU The Grizz Listening to WXOU 88.3 FM The Grizz from Oakland University This is John out here with you on Sports Day in the D 
There's not a lot of NHL going on because of the lockout, and the Golden Grizzlies don't start for another couple of weeks. So what does that leave you on Halloween, Wednesday night? It leaves you with the Pistons' home opener against the Houston Rockets. And I know what you guys are thinking. The Pistons, they're definitely not making the playoffs. I mean, come on, there's eight teams in the East and the eight teams in the West that can make the playoffs. And out of those eight teams in the East, I really don't think the Pistons are making it. And I hear what you're saying. Pistons basketball hasn't been relevant since... Since 2004 and 2005 in terms of winning that championships and let's be honest that's all anybody ever expected the reason why Chauncey Billups was kicked out of town and traded for Allen Iverson which is one of those moves that I will hate for the rest of my life and <laughs> in terms of all of that is because Joe Dumars got sick of losing in the Eastern Conference Finals, so he wanted to cut the head off the snake, blow it all up, and have the Pistons start all over. And when you really look at the grand scheme of things, don't you really wish that the Pistons were back just losing in the Eastern Conference Finals and at least making it exciting? Because don't you remember when they were in it all the time, people had the Palace sold out, and the Palace of Auburn Hills is still one of the most beautiful venues we have here. So... When you think about all of that in the terms of the fans not showing up because they're tired of losing and all that, it's a far cry to go from losing in the Eastern Conference Finals to not even making the playoffs. So you know the Pistons are a team that's in transition, and you don't think that they're going to make the playoffs, and I get all that. But in terms of what I'm asking you, Facebook and Twitter, you can get at me on TBU Gunslinger. Like I said, I upload the shows also to uh, your listen, and we're getting the podcast stuff in at WXOU website and everything for Sports Day in the D. Question I ask you is where do you think the Pistons are? Do you think they're a team that's going to sneak into that eighth and final spot in the East? Or do you think it's still a team in transition in terms of not having a lot of talent and only having a few centerpieces and maybe a couple more years of not doing so well would finally be enough to get the Pistons over the hump? So where do you see them? A team that just misses out in the playoffs or a team that is going to contend with the Bobcats in terms of having that worst record in the NBA? I'm going to be completely honest with you. In terms of what the Pistons will do this season... I really don't want to see them sneak into that eighth and final spot. I got seven teams from the East and the West that I have written down here that I did from my knowledge of basketball that I'll share with you that I think are going to make the playoffs. But in terms of what the Pistons will do, I really don't want to see them be stuck in basketball purgatory. And you know what I mean. If they get into that eighth and final spot and they get some kind of like mid-pick around 15 or 16, do you really think it's going to benefit the Pistons going forward? I really don't want to see them make the playoffs. I want to see them do pretty badly in the next couple of seasons or win the whole thing. So they're really not close to winning the whole thing, so let's just stick to doing badly to get some high draft picks. And the reason why I feel comfortable about that now is because I know 2004 was a long time ago. Everybody regrets drafting Darko Milicic and not getting Carmelo Anthony or Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh. It's been said time and time and time again. I don't need to go ahead and reiterate that. But within the last three years, the Pistons have gotten a little fortunate, but they've actually drafted well in terms of what I'm talking about. You got Moose, you got Greg Monroe, and I'm not really certain if this guy's going to go ahead and stay center, and I'll go ahead and talk about that in just a little bit, but he was a good power forward slash center in terms of 
grabbing rebounds and getting you points and finishing and hustling to do everything he needs to do. The only thing on Greg Monroe is he doesn't have a lot of hops. He doesn't have a lot of athleticism, but he gets it done. And he's a big centerpiece. He's probably the best player that the Pistons have right now in terms of the most important player and the guy that they really want to keep and build around. So the Pistons didn't have a great season, but you'd think about Greg Monroe and you think about, hey, we got something to build upon here. So what do the Pistons go ahead and do? They draft eighth. They get Brandon Knight out of Kentucky, and you get a really smart kid, a really good kid in terms of here's a guy that can run the point maybe. He's not the superstar you think he was going to be. He might not ever pan out to be that, but he is a dependable point guard that can make some good plays for you, and he's definitely got a knack of hitting an outside shot. So you go forward on that. Again, the Pistons weren't very good. They end up drafting about 8th or ninth again, and Andre Drummond falls to them this year. Again, Brandon Knight and Andre Drummond had fallen to the Pistons. They've gotten fortunate drafting where they're at. Maybe they won too many games, but yet they go ahead and they get these two guys. And when I think about Andre Drummond, I think about a guy that could have been drafted second in this draft, and I'm not kidding. Because in terms of Anthony Davis, you know he was going to be the first pick in the draft, and he won the gold medal with the U.S. Olympic team and LeBron James and everything. He was going to be the first pick in the draft. Anthony Davis used to play point guard, and now he's playing power forward center blocking shots. He could change the league in terms of his athleticism and blocking shots. Where I met on Andre Drummond and why he could have been the second pick, he didn't get a lot of respect on his team because Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and all those guys, Anthony Davis and all those guys, it's just they didn't really pass the ball to Andre Drummond, and they were going ahead and be able to fill it up with those two guys. So Andre Drummond was pretty much on the defensive prowess, getting everything done and just figuring things out. So not really getting the ball and not really getting a lot of offensive production is a good reason to why Andre Drummond fell to the Pistons in that draft. But in terms of his defensive prowess, I'm not joking. He was being compared by NBA scouts as being Dwight Howard in terms of his defensive prowess. Can you imagine if you get somebody like Dwight Howard, and by the way, Andre Drummond's only 19 years old, so if he doesn't do well within the next few seasons, you know, lay low on Andre a little bit because obviously it takes big men a little while to get going, usually about four or five seasons. Kid's only 19. His birthday is in August, so he's still going to be 19 for quite a while. So in terms of that defensive prowess, you get somebody about 6'10", who you can go ahead and you can pair with Greg Monroe, and if you want to, you can move Monroe to the power forward spot where he doesn't have a lot of athleticism. You go ahead and you pair him with Andre Drummond, who can go ahead and get Monroe's backside, block those shots with that weak side defense, and keep everybody out of that paint. It's a good dynamic for the Pistons to have. They finally got a point guard. Like I said, Chauncey Billups was moved out of the way, and everything got blown up. You finally got a point guard in Brandon Knight. You finally got a power forward in Greg Monroe who can grab you some rebounds and get you some points. He's a pretty good player. I'd love to. I like to have him on the Pistons. I'm glad he's here. So you got that, and you got Andre Drummond. He's raw offensively. We know that he makes Ben Wallace look good shooting free throws because Andre Drummond only hits you about 27% from the free throw line. So. Ben Wallace and Shaq look like superstars at the free throw line compared to Andre Drummond. Throw that aside. The guy's got hops. He's got defense. He's got what you need for the Pistons going forward. The Pistons have drafted well within the last three seasons, and I feel good about that. I know they're going to lose a lot of games, but it's just nice 
to be able to have the Pistons finally say that they're out of that basketball purgatory. They finally got some pieces and something to build upon. So you got to feel good for the Pistons on that regard. In terms of that bench, I don't know if they got much of it. You would say Jonas Jarepko. I like Jonas Jarepko, not just because he's from Sweden, but I think he's a guy that hustles hard and he plays hard and he can get you some points and do a little bit of everything. So hopefully Jonas can um, rebound from that injury and just do what he needs to do. I think he's the only other guy on the Pistons that's worth anything. So you got that starting five, and you got Jonas Jarepko, but I got a problem with the starting five, because I was never a fan of Rodney Stuckey. I know he's a guy that can score you some points, and he can drive the lane and get into the key and shoot some free throws, but you got a guy, plain and simple, at shooting guard that can't shoot. And I really think about that at a shooting guard that can't shoot, that's a problem in terms of the fact that they can just pack the paint. And luckily, Brandon Knight can hit an outside J, because with Rodney Stuckey, if he's not getting into the paint, he's not doing much else. In terms of Jason Maxiel, you got an undersized power forward at 6'6 that can't hit a mid-range jumper. So, you got some pieces to move around there. Tayshaun Prince entering his 10th season for the Pistons. Hard to believe it's been that long. You know, the first couple of seasons, he was really good with the Pistons with uh, Chauncey, Ben, Rip, and all that. And you think he's a guy that's going to score you some points? He hasn't been that guy since that time way long ago, about eight seasons ago, I would say. You know, it's been a long time since that Reggie Miller block from behind and all of that and those points. That's the stuff that you remember. It's been a long time since then. So you probably got Tayshaun Prince at the small forward starting. You got Rodney Stuckey, two and three. You know, Tayshaun, I could live without. Rodney Stuckey, I really don't care about. And then in terms of what the rest of the Pistons have, you got Jonas Drepko. That's about it. Austin Day, not worth anything. Jason Maxiel, not worth anything. But in terms of, like I said, it's going to be bagging on the Pistons. You finally have something to build upon on Drummond, Monroe, and Knight. You go forward with that stuff, they're all young guns, and you clean out the rest of the roster going forward within the next couple of seasons about guys that really can't play. I really believe you keep those three guys, you keep Jarepko, hopefully Kim English, he could really shoot out of Missouri, that's why the Pistons drafted him in that second round. You can go ahead and keep him around, you go ahead and keep Middleton, because he's a guy you drafted, it's not going to cost you a lot. I wasn't thrilled about the Kyle Singler pick last year out of Duke, but he's also another one of those guys that can shoot. So you keep those guys, that those low salary cap guys, you keep Jarepko, you keep starting three, and you keep Greg Monroe, Brandon Knight, and Andre Drummond signed. You really got to do that. Then hopefully you just build a team that's the rest of it's good on defense and can get you some minutes. That's what the Pistons need to do going forward. It's not going to be one of those seasons where hopefully they back into the playoffs. I just hope they don't do well for the next couple of seasons, and they keep getting some experience with that cast of that big three that the Pistons have because I think that that's a good three to have and that's a good building blocks to start. In terms of the opening night game with the Houston Rockets, the Pistons can do something against the Houston Rockets, and here's why. Because their best player is Kevin Martin. Everything's been blown out. You got Jeremy Lin at the point guard. Lin Sanity was a great story last year with the New York Knicks. He doesn't have Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire to pass to. I know somehow Houston wins games, and they might end up fighting for that eighth spot, but it's a good game for the Pistons to win. 
but it starts the West Coast road trip. They got the one game at home at the Palace against the Rockets, the West Coast team. Then you go ahead and you play six of the next seven games on the road in a West Coast road trip. It's going to be the longest road trip the Pistons have all season, and it's going to be right on the onset. They're going to have to play teams like the Los Angeles Lakers, the Denver Nuggets, the Phoenix Suns, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Sacramento Kings, all that stuff. It's not going to be an easy road trip for the Pistons. But in terms of having an early start, an early statement of having 6 out of 7 on the road, yeah, the Pistons might end up 1-6 or 2-5, but at least they go ahead and get that on the way, and then they get one home game, play OKC on the road again, and then they go ahead and get some more home games. Probably That's the outlook of the 10 games so far that the Pistons would have involved in the season. So got a good grasp on that. Maybe the record's not good, but you go ahead and you get those tough games out of the way, and you go ahead and you get some bonding at home. I think that's a good thing for the Pistons to do to get that out of the way early. Now, in terms of seven teams I picked from the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, let's get to it. I'm going to give you three division leaders first. Out of the Central where the Pistons play, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Indiana Pacers. You got Roy Hibbert, you signed your young swingman Paul George, and you got Danny Granger and David West. It's more talent than the Pistons have, and Derrick Rose is not going to be playing for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, they might sneak into the playoffs, but in terms of they're in the same spot that the Pistons are, you might as well not even activate him for the entire season. Keep him healthy because he's the Bulls' future. So I got the Pacers winning the Central. I got Boston winning the Pacific, but I don't know by how much. There's a lot of competition there, and obviously you got Miami winning because they play in the easiest division in their conference and they're the defending champions. It's really hard to pick against them. In terms of another team I think could make it out of our division, Chicago. And the only other teams that you know that are going to be in there are the New York Knicks. They reloaded. They got Jason Kidd. Hopefully Amon Shumpert's back and healthy. Very athletic team with Tyson Chandler, Amari Stoudemire, and Carmelo Anthony. Got to feel good about that. Brooklyn Nets pretty much bought a new starting five for them. They got Mikhail Prokhorov and Jay-Z in that new building. There's a lot of optimism and excitement. I go ahead and you put them in there. The Philadelphia 76ers, there was a huge move because the Lakers, they lose Andrew Bynum. They go ahead and Andrew Bynum goes to Philadelphia. It's going to be interesting to see how this works for Bynum because now he comes in and he's the man for the Sixers. You know, he was in the shadow of Kobe and Paul Gasol. It'd be interesting to see if whether or not he's willing to lead because there's a lot of times where you see him out there pouting. Not really sure what you're going to get, but he's a guy, when healthy, can have some massive production. So I would go ahead and pencil in Philadelphia. Still leaves you one spot, that eighth spot. Throw it out to whoever you want. In the West... Division leaders, I got Lakers, I got OKC, and I got the Spurs. I don't think there's any question on any of these three. Lakers getting Steve Nash and Dwight Howard, big splash in the offseason. Adding Antoine Jameson could be one of the deepest teams in the league. Kobe's going to retire in two seasons or so, he says. So a good opportunity for him now to win another championship. OKC looking to bounce back. They're going to be in this position for a long, long time. You got Durant, and you got Harden, you got Westbrook, and you think about these guys, I think the oldest is 24 years old between those three. They're going to be around for a long time. So you got them there, and you got the Spurs. Pop knows how to rest his guys. They get everything done. They got Ginobili, Duncan, and Parker. They're going to go ahead and continue to do what they do. In terms of the other teams, 
Clippers are going to be right on the Lakers' heels all season. Love Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Love the pickups of Chauncey Billups and Grant Hill, Jamal Crawford. Get some veteran leadership in with those young guys. Should be a good locker room there, minus Lamar Odom. Timberwolves. You don't know what you're going to get out of Ricky Rubio, but you know he's a great point guard, been hurt and all that stuff. I think good thing for the Timberwolves, you get Brandon Roy back out of the uh, knee surgery. Hopefully he can come back to being what he was. Might be one of those teams I picked to get in there. And don't sleep on the Denver Nuggets. And here's why. I know Andre Iguodala was a centerpiece for the 76ers, but he never was one of those guys that can go out and lead and get you a ton of points. He can get you about 16 or 17 a night, but he's good at rebounds and assists. Now you go ahead and you put him on the Denver Nuggets with Ty Lawson, Danilo Gallinari, the Manimal, Kenneth Freed, JaVale McGee, I know he's a knucklehead, but you still got Wilson Chandler, you got a very deep bench, and you got guys that can are athletic and can run. It's going to be a fun team to watch, how the Clippers were fun to watch last year. So that's one of my sleeper teams not to sleep on, I think can make some noise in that Western Conference. And you got the Dallas Mavericks, if I didn't already mention them. I know Dirk is hurt. I don't know how long he's going to be hurt for, but interesting dynamic out there. They missed out on Darren Williams, Mark Cuban and the reality show and everything. I'm not sure where all of that went. That's why he went to Brooklyn. But you got all these guys on a one-year contract. I still think they get in there. It's going to be interesting dynamic to see how all those pieces fit. So there are seven teams from the east, seven teams from the west. That's the very early, as soon as the season starts, predictions of the teams that will get in the playoff. As far as everything else goes for next week's show, I want to throw this out here quickly. I will not be in at Oakland for next week's show, so hopefully I'm going to podcast the show on WXOU. I'll send in the files. I always have stuff uploaded on your lesson through Facebook and Twitter at TBU Gunslinger, so go ahead and send me a friend request, TBU Gunslinger. We can get this show on for Sports Day in the D for next week when we go ahead and talk about some Tigers and Giants in the World Series and hopefully Tigers' victory of that World Series. So I will not be on the airwaves officially next week. Podcast the show. I will be on the week after to talk about some Golden Grizzlies basketball, some Pistons, some Lions, all that stuff. So you guys go ahead and have a great and safe weekend. It's going to be warm outside Thursday and Friday, so enjoy the weather while it's here. It's going to be a rough one after that. It's going to be cold. So have a great weekend. Stay safe. Peace out. And go Tigers! Let's win this World Series. John Ott, Sports Day in the D.